Hello again ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 5 of Enemy of My Enemy, my second AVP fan fiction. Now first things first, a bit of an apology here, if you do hear some background noise like howling and banging etc, there's a bit of a storm going on at the moment here, what with Unis kicking the entire shit out of Britain, so not a lot I can do about it I'm afraid, so... If that you know does come across in the audio, which I have tried to edit out as best as possible, I do apologise. Not a lot I can do. But other than that, I think everything should be okay. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, and the usual legal disclaimer first. I don't own AVP or anything to do with it. That's all a part of their own studios, etc. I just have all the sexy alien queens. They're all mine. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 5. Friends in High Places As she jumped from building to building, she tried to keep her eyes on the hatchling that was running for its life between the buildings. As it tried to evade the pursuing animal humans, the growls and screeches of these creatures made were echoing off just about every surface, which made it kind of hard to pinpoint just how many of them there were. But from what she'd seen from atop the building before, she started the pursuit. It looked like thousands of them. She had to get that hatchling off the ground, and fast. Pretty soon the hatchling's luck ran out. It had been running through the twisting and turning alleyways in an attempt to throw off its pursuers, but all it had done is managed to funnel the animal-humans into the alleyways three abreast around it as they scrambled to catch up with it, and now it had run into a dead end. The hatchling beat its fists against the wall in front of it in frustration and fear. It looked around in a desperate attempt to find a way out. It tried to pull bars from windows. It desperately tried electronically locked doors. It even tried to climb a 15-foot high fence. But there was no escape from this. The horde scrambled and fought their way around the corner until it was standing and blocking the only way out. The hatchling crouched down and hugged its knees. Of where she could see from high above, from she could hear its sobs echoing up to, here, up to her. She would have liked to have been time to be able to do introduction properly. She could have shown the hatchling they didn't have to be scared of her. But there was no time left. It was time to act. Jumping from the balcony of the building on which she was hanging, she dropped straight down. She hit the ground in front of the hatchling with enough force to crack the floor. The hatchling jumped backwards and away from her, pressing its back to the wall behind them. As she stood back up to her full height, she realised a full-on battle cry in the direction of the animal creased humans, and for a second the mighty roar caused them to halt their charge as they looked at the newcomer. But for she knew from experience these things weren't even slightly scared of her, or really anything, to be fair. So quick as a flash, while they were confused by what had just happened, she whirled around on the spot, ran towards a crow cowering hatchling who was trying to make itself as small as possible to evade detection. She grabbed it roughly and picked it up off the ground, holding it dangling in the air in front of her face. Please don't kill me! A distinctly feminine sounding voice sobbed from under the hood she was wearing. But there was no time for proper introductions, so she flicked her tail up, wrapped it tightly around the hatchling's waist so her hands would be free, and then, just as the animal humans regained their senses and charged at them screeching again, she was able to leap clear and grip onto the wall high above their heads. Her claws were dug into the wall, giving her plenty of leverage for her next jump, which took her even higher above them. 
From below them she could hear the crazed howls of anger and frustration in being denied their prey. On top of the building she glanced down into the alleyway below them, but there were so many of them it was more like a seething mass of ants than people. From behind her she could hear sobbing coming from the hatchling that she was carrying wrapped up in her tail. So slowly she turned and placed her down on the ground before releasing her from her coiled tail. The hatchling quickly backed away from her, holding out her hands in front of her protectively. Slowly she lowered herself down so that she was on the same level as the hatchling, and she gave a soft reassuring chirp in order to try and show her that she didn't mean her any harm. She even tried to give her a friendly hiss in order to try and make her feel more at ease, but it didn't work. If anything, it seemed to make her even more scared of her. If only she could communicate with the hatchling somehow. Then it hit her. The royal jelly. She remembered overhearing some of the humans when they were talking about it. They were impressed by the healing properties of it when they put it on a variety of wounds. They also said that it was imbued with a receiver with a whole host of abilities. But they didn't discuss those. She also remembered that when they had tested it on Tyler... Maybe that's why he'd been able, the only one able to communicate with her. It was worth a shot at the very least, though she didn't think that getting the hatchling to eat a royal jelly was going to be that easy, but she did know one way she could do it. It would be rather unpleasant for the hatchling and for her, but it would work, and if it meant that afterwards to be able to communicate, then she figured it was worth the price. As she watched the hatchling, still holding her hands up in defence, she slowly took a step forwards and used her hands to reach the ha for the hatchling's hood. With a quick flick, she was able to make it fall around her shoulders, revealing her face for the first time. To her surprise, the hatchling was not human, but rather a feline. She had fur as black as the night itself, covering her whole body, but she had the bluest eyes she'd ever seen in her life, eyes that were filled with fear. Uh, are you going to eat me? The hatchling asked in a trembling voice, imperfect human. Rather than answer, she simply stroked the sides of her head with long fingers. The hatchling's fur was remarkably soft and smooth. But this next part was not going to be pleasant for either of them. She gripped the sides of the hatchling's head with her hands tightly, and the hatchling opened her mouth to scream in fear. But before she could, the queen plunged her head forward and gripped the sides of her face with her mandibles, and plunged her inner mouth into the hatchling's mouth. The surprise caused the hatchling to swallow the injection of royal jelly from the queen's inner mouth, before she even realised what was happening. She only gave her a small amount, as she had no idea what it would do to a member of her species. As she quickly released her, the hatchling dropped to her knees and began coughing and retching, as her body tried to get rid of the substance, but she was unable to expel the royal jelly, as due to its nature, it would almost instantly be absorbed into her bloodstream through the walls of her esophagus. Instantly, she collapsed onto her face and began to shake violently. Oh shit, I've killed her! The queen yelled as she dropped to her knees and quickly cradled the feet like hatchling in her long arms. Please don't die. I only wanted to be able to talk to you. She said quietly as she rocked the hatchling back and forth in her arms as she held her to her chest. But just as quickly as the panic set in, the hatchling's breathing began to stabilise and she seemed to calm down. She looked down at the young feline and in her arms, and she saw that the blue, big blue eyes were wide open and she was looking up at her. Oh, thank goodness I, you're okay. 
I thought I'd killed you, the Queen exclaimed, looking at the young hatchling in her arms. You mean you're not going to kill me? the hatchling asked. The Queen's eyes nearly popped out of her head. Wait, you heard me? she exclaimed, moving the hatchling so they were face to face. She looked thoughtful for a moment. Yeah, but it's not like talking, talking. It's like I can hear you in my brain, she replied, and the Queen hugged her against her chest in triumph and happiness. It worked, she said happily. What worked? the confused-sounding hatchling asked. My royal jelly. It's what's let m letting me speak to you, the queen replied. Oh, so that's what the nasty stuff you shot down my throat is called, hatchling said accusingly. The queen looked a little sheepish at that. Yeah, sorry about that. I couldn't really think of another way to get you to eat it, she said. I'm surprised. No one wants to eat that stuff. Tastes real nasty. And did you have to tongue kiss me? The hatchling said, wiping her mouth and tongue furiously on her sleeve. Kiss you? The queen asked in surprise. Yeah, the thing where you put your lips to mine and shoved your tongue in my mouth. Which is really icky, by the way. It's called kissing. And my mother taught me that you only ever do supposed to do that with someone you love. The hatchling said in between tongue wipes. Obviously still trying to get the vile taste out of her mouth. Kissing, hmm... Queen said thoughtfully, and then some of Tyler's memories swarmed into her mind of the time he'd kissed his mate, and she realised the hatchling was right. If she could have blushed, she'd have turned bright crimson right about now. Well, I suppose at least we can understand each other now, so I guess a quick kiss was worth it, huh? The Queen asked hopefully, looking at the hatchling was still on her lap. Come to think of it, ever since she'd woken up from the shock her body had gone into because of the royal jelly, she hadn't actually tried to move off her. Nor did she smell of fear any more. Now it was the hatchling's turn to look thoughtful. Hmm, I guess you're right. I mean, you look all big and scary, but you seem okay. And I guess you did save me from the crazies. But please don't kiss me again. I want to save them for the man I will one day love, she said, looking the queen right in the eye. No more kisses, I promise, the queen said, smiling all over her face, which the hatchling warmly returned. So what are you, anyway? I've never seen anything like you before, and I've seen lots of races. My favourite is the Yejuta. They act all big and rough and tough, like hunters. But the ones at my school are all really sweet, really, the hatchling said, looking up at the queen. Humans call my kind xenomorphs. Queen said, smiling at the hatchling. Zeno, Zeno, Xenomorph, the hatchling said, in a kind of stammer as she tried to get it right. The Queen nodded. Well, I'm a Phalenis, and my name is Mistletine, but everybody just calls me Missy for some reason, Mistletine said, smiling at her. Missy, I like it, the Queen said, smiling right back at her. Missy cocked her head to one side with a look of curiosity painted on her face. You never did tell me your name, she said in a very matter-of-fact voice. Suddenly it was the Queen's turn to cock her head curiously, causing her predlocks to swing. Well, I don't know if it counts, but a very dear friend of mine always used to call me Marcha, the Queen said. Missy rubbed her chin thoughtfully. Marcha, huh? Sounds exotic. I like it, she said, smiling. 
My friend said it was the name of a Celtic goddess, whatever the hell that is, Marcia said. Missy smiled again and offered her a hand. Well, it's nice to meet you, Marcia, and thanks for saving me from the crazies, she said. Marcia looked at the young girl's hand in confusion, unsure what she was supposed to do. You're supposed to shake it. It's a human thing, really, but I kind of like it, Missy said, prompting her when she saw the confusion. Marcia reached down and took hold of her entire arm and shook it up and down a couple of times. Missy laughed at a rather sweet and innocent-sounding voice. No, silly, just my hand, not my entire arm, she said, still giggling. Marcia looked down at her hand again and imitated the way the youngster had held hers out. And as soon as she did, Missy grabbed her hand and shook it a couple of times before letting go. There we go. Now you know the human sign of greeting and trust, she said, smiling widely. Trust, Marcia said slowly with a smile crossing her face. If young hatchlings called Missy trusted her now, she could be the first friend other than Tyler she'd ever made. She really hoped so. Suddenly there was a loud angry screeching noise from their left. Both of them turned to look just in time to see a window shatter outwards onto the roof that they were currently on. A whole crowd of people spilled out onto the roof. Most of the front fell forward over the lip of the window and were instantly trampled under the feet of the ones behind them. Missy was up and on her feet in a heartbeat. The crazies found us, she said, grabbing hold of March's arm and trying to pull her away. In an instant, the crowd had locked onto the sound of the young girl's voice and a massive angry roar emanated from it as they began to charge right at them. Marcia turned quickly with her strong arms, flipped Missy up and over her head. For a millisecond, the confused looking upside down face of the young feline girl was right nose to nose with her own as she passed over her head. She landed on her back with a whoosh of escaping breath. Hold on, Missy, this is going to get rough, Marcia said to the young girl. Instantly she felt a grip of her shoulders and her dorsal spines with her hands and little legs as they wrapped themselves around her back as best she could. The first of the crazed animal humans reached them and was instantly sent flying backwards with enough force to cut a path right through the charging crowd. Marcia flicked her tail in annoyance after the strike. Come on you fuckers, let's see what you got, she roared at them. But to their uninitiated ears, it probably just sounded like a rather loud screech. As it happened, challenging them wasn't really even necessary. As though one of their own had been turned into a human projectile, the others never even broke their forward stride for a second. Marcia spun on the spot, using her mighty tail as a whip to cleave right through their two front ranks as they got into range. The hardened tip cut right through their flesh like it was butter and combined with her strength and sheer weight, it decimated their front ranks with one hit. From her right she caught a glimpse of an object going airborne and heading in their direction. With her high-speed reflexes, she was able to, able to intercept the jumping human, with her large hand grabbing it around the throat. "'Don't let them bite you, or they'll turn you into one of them!' Missy yelled from her back, shouting to be heard over the crescendo of screeches and roars from the crowd. With a deft flick of her wrist, Marcia snapped the human's neck and threw the now immobilised but still alive human into the oncoming crowd. It took out at least twenty of them in another straight line, but as soon as the twenty fell, another forty replaced them. There seemed to be no end to the oncoming mass of bodies rushing out through the broken window right at them. We have to get out of here. 
or they're going to surround us and turn us into them. Missy yelled. Marcher agreed with a nod of her large head and she quickly looked for an escape route off the roof. Through one of the gaps she created she noticed an easy jump to the roof of the next building. Hold on tight, Missy. This is going to be a pretty rough ride, Marcher said, and instantly she felt the young hatchling grip hold of her back even tighter. So leaning forward and taking huge strides she took off at a run. As she sprinted through the gap, it was like a forest of arms reaching for them on both sides, as the animal-crazed humans desperately tried to grab at them both. She thought about using either her claws or tails to try and cleave their arms off, but at the same time she realised that this would only slow her down. So focusing all of her energy into her speed, she picked up her pace to maximum, and she hit the ledge at full sprint, compressing her long, powerful legs. She pushed off into a powerful jump that sent them both sailing through the air. Missy yelled as they were both airborne over the alleyway below them. They could both see the still seething masses below them as well, so Marcher knew this was, that this roof wasn't going to land on wasn't going to be safe either. She needed to get Missy out of the immediate area so, so that they lost their pursuers. They both slammed into the second white top of the roof with enough force to crack the cement. Without even missing a beat, Marcher took off in a run now using all fours instead of just her powerful back legs. To her, this was just as comfortable as being bipedal. Above her, Missy grabbed hold of her dorsal spines tighter and together, with the young hatchling riding her back like a jockey. She ran full tilt across the roof, before going into another massive leap. It took a total of 15 rooftops before they were clear of the crowds below them, but finally they were able to get off the rooftops and dark down onto the streets. Fortunately, the numbers here were next to none, but there were enough of them that it meant that they still had to keep moving. Suddenly, Missy tapped her on the head and she glanced up, and she could see the young hatchling pointing. Head for the big red building over there. That's where I've been living. It's safe there, as they can't get in from the ground, she said. Marcher followed where she was pointing and immediately noticed a large red-coloured building that looked like a giant brick. It was vastly different to the other curved and smooth-looking human architecture that surrounded them on all sides. But this thing just looked flat, blocky and flat by comparison. She trusted the young hatchling riding on her back as far as she knew more about the human city than she did. So if she said it was safe, then she believed her. So changing course, she headed for the large red brick in the distance. After she was out of sight of the last of the crowd on the ground, Marcher slowed her pace and began to walk. She figured that stealth would be more of an ally to her rather than speed, as her running was rather noisy. As all these, especially in all these human surfaces, her claws made an awful clicking and clacking noise as she ran, and she figured that as they'd lost their pursuers, if she did that they'd only gain new ones if they didn't move smart here. The road was on pretty wide on both sides and the abandoned human machines were everywhere, mostly crashed into each other or buildings and heavily damaged to move the damn things as well. She remembered these things from her escape. They were human transport machines and she remembered happily looking humans whizzing about and them going about wherever it was they were headed. But now... They were just sad, crumpled remains of those one fantastical wonders of human technology. 
Now they'd slowed down, she was able to get a good look at their surroundings. They were walking along a black-surfaced road of some kind, with white lines every so many feet. Apart from the many various transport machines, there was just rubbish and abandoned belongings everywhere. Things like backpacks and cases that humans used to carry things around in were here and there. Most of them seemed to be burst open, spilling their contents around onto the ground around them. Probably the reason they got abandoned in the first place, to be fair. As they passed by close enough to look into one of the little cases, a little one on pink wheels, on the bottom with a long white handle caught her attention. A marshal looked. What appeared to be a miniature bear was stuck out to the top of it. For some reason the sight of that smiling little brown-furred bear made her feel rather sad. The scent that faintly clung to it, which was another thanks to a rather powerful sense of smell she could detect even at this few feet distance, was definitely that of another human hatchling. She found herself wondering if they were all right. A sudden thought struck her as they moved slowly and cautiously along the road. Hey, Missy, if there's no way to get in from the ground, how do we actually get into that red building? She asked, and Missy pointed above them to what looked like a long set of metal poles that wound away from them like metal snakes side by side. We use the monorail. Don't worry, it's not powered up anymore. Since the lights went out, it's been dead. And good thing too, because it's the only way to get into that building. That's kind of why I chose it in the first place, she said. Marcia looked at the thin-looking rails that wound through the city and nodded. This hatchling was smart. So slowly she moved on to a large metal pylon that supported the rail, and cautiously she gripped it in her hands before trying to shake it. Thankfully it didn't move, so it would probably hold her weight. The climb onto the rails was easier than moving along them. Missy had jumped off her back and onto the rails ahead of her, but unlike the young hatchling, she couldn't happily skip along the thin metal rails, more like shuffle along on all fours while clinging on for dear life with the four of her claws. After an hour and a half of swinging and shuffling, they finally made it to the, swing, to the buildings, with just the light began to fade from the sun began to drop. From the monorail there appeared to be a platform of some kind that connected the building to the monorail itself. As she saw it, Marcia increased the speed of her shuffle. She couldn't wait to get off these bloody things. Gleefully jumping from the rail to the platform, Missy skipped down the jutting concrete path. Marcia joined her and had never been so glad to be on solid ground in all her life. Come on, slowpoke. I'll show you where I live. It's pretty cool she said, skipping up to Marcia and grabbing her hand in both of hers before pulling her towards a doorway. As they reached it, Marcia noticed a large metal door that had been left open. I'm pretty glad that this was open as the power went out, or I'd never managed to get in here. There's no way I could have moved something that big on my own. Though you'd have probably had no problems. You look way stronger than me, Missy said, pointing at the huge metal door. Inside it led to a large lobby-like kind of structure, the one kind of like she'd reminded, remembered from that building where they'd kept her in while experimenting on her. But instead of white marble everywhere, there was just flat metal bulkheads and plates. It's some kind of warehouse for a company who makes machines, Missy said, pointing off into the dark distance. But with her superior night vision, darkness was no problem for her. Beyond the lobby, there was a large guardrail, 
and a vast open space that must have been the main interior of the building. Missy led her up to the rail and looking over it, she could see huge lines around the massive room all filled with various machine parts. Down to the right she noticed a massive black and yellow blast style door. Thought you said there was no way into the building from the ground, Marcia said pointing at the door. Missy followed to where she was pointing and her feline night vision easily picked the door out and she nodded. Oh yeah, that thing. It's okay. It's totally sealed and nothing's getting through that. Which I'm kind of glad of, really, she said and Marcia cocked her head to one side curiously. Why? What's on the other side of it? It leads into the big train tunnels below the city. Probably used to move massive trains down here to move the machines around to whoever had bought them. But the problem is, those tunnels connect to the sewers at various points, Missy said. And what's wrong with the sewers? Marcher asked, and Missy shot her a look that silently asked if she was crazy. They're crawling with really pissed-off monsters. Would probably even give you a run for your money. Real nasty big black things that'll tear every part of your body off, and that's if they're in a good mood, she said in a very matter-of-fact tone. Marcher looked back at the door. She could have sworn she heard a distant screech that was definitely not human. It seemed to echo directly underneath them and away into the distance. Suddenly she was rather glad herself that she was not in the sewers. That was chapter 5 of Enemy of My Enemy. Ah, so it looks like March has made herself a new friend. But what's wrong with the sewers? What mysteries could they be hiding? And what monsters is Missy speaking about? And I can read one way to find out. Gonna have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.